0: So, Father, we thank you that you do reign. You reign over every aspect of our lives where we give you the freedom to. And so right now, we just ask you to open up our hearts, open up our eyes, to be able to see what you were trying to tell us in your word. We know that it was inspired by you, Holy Spirit, so we ask you to take hold with us and walk us through your word this morning. Show us your insights and your intentions and we just give you freedom to do that. In Jesus' name, amen. Will, how you all doing? Having a great week? Yes. You know, we're going to start heading in a new direction this morning. And as I was preparing for the message, something completely unrelated to the message started coming up in my heart. And the Holy Spirit reminded me of a message I preached It's got to be, I think, about 14 years ago now. It was one of the first messages that I had done. And as I, I, I was thinking through it, he was like, you know what? It's just as relevant today as it was then. And one of the things that we teach kids and stuff like that and what we expect of our employees is that we want them to think outside the box. We want them to have ideas that are not the same as everybody else. You know, isn't that one of the things of business? You know, if everybody is doing the exact same thing as you, it's, you know, you're just like them. But God can give you insights and ideas that will take you outside of the box that the world operates in. And the Holy Spirit said something to me a number of years ago before I preached this. And he said that you want to know the easiest way to think outside the box of the world? Think inside the box. You want to revolutionize your thinking and your way of acting and your way of doing business, the way of running your house, think inside the box. You know that the word will have you do things 100% different than the world will. It'll teach you how to love when you don't want to love. It'll teach you how to forgive when you say there's no way I'm going to forgive. It'll teach you how to increase when everybody else is decreasing. It'll teach you how to be a bigger giver, a bigger receiver. It'll teach you how to walk in health, how to avoid falling into the traps of life. You know, there's so much in the Word that He has shown us that we can walk in and live in, but we have to follow the instructions of the Word to walk in it. And one of the things that he had said in Romans chapter 12 too, he said, and don't be conformed to this world. That word conformed literally means don't be poured into the mold. Now think of it in a factory setting. You know, say you have some molten plastic, and you have a mold of the toy that you're wanting to make. You melt the plastic, you have a big reservoir, and you put the mold under, and when you pour the plastic down in and it settles, you want every piece to be the same. And the world wants you to be just like them. You know, nobody complains when their neighbor is just like them. But you know, when their neighbor is the crazy wing bat, then everybody's like, my goodness, why are you on my block? Why are you bringing down my uh, value of my house because of all the junk in your front yard? You know, everybody notices when somebody is different. The world should know that you're different. The Bible says that you're in this world, but you're not of this world. And so Paul said here to the Romans, don't be poured into their mold, but be transformed. And the word used there is the word metamorphosis, which means to be taken from one type of being and made into another. It's like what happens with the butterfly. It comes as an ugly little worm, and it goes into its cocoon, and it goes through the metamorphosis process. It is changed. It is transformed from some little slug-like creature that slithers across the ground to a beautiful butterfly that flies. And that's the process that God is wanting to take us through in the natural. You've already been through that process spiritually. When you became born again, you became as perfect as you'll ever be. You're just like Jesus, one with Him, from the family of God. And so God is not only wanting to transform your spirit, he's wanting to transform your life. And so he says, but in order to do that, don't be poured into the world's mold, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is good and acceptable and the perfect will of God I like how the amplified says it It says don't copy the behavior and the customs of this world but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think Paul told the Colossians, he says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom and teaching and admonishing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your heart to the Lord. So what, is, what am I trying to say as we're starting off here? We need to let ours or your beliefs about yourself and your situation be Bible-formed. We have to understand that when we entered into this relationship with God and, and, and started going to church, the way that we've always done things is not always the way we need to continue. So there always needs to be checkups with ourselves. And we need to stop and say, am I responding based upon how God has called me or how I have called me? Am I responding based upon how the world believes or as God has told me to believe? And so we always have that choice and we should always do regular checkups and say, am I responding to this situation inside the box? And so as we go through this, start into this new series today, think about, are there areas in my life where God, I need to let go of my belief patterns and accept yours? Because we all believe differently. You know, though we come to this church, there are people that believe different aspects of what we believe or what we preach. And so we need to allow ourselves to open up our hearts and let the Holy Spirit form Bible-formed beliefs. And so, Holy Spirit, we ask for that this morning as we go through this. Show us where the areas we've been believing things that aren't true about ourselves. And we just ask you to heal those parts and form your Bible thoughts in us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, we're going to go over into Galatians chapter 3 this morning. And as I was thinking about where we should start with this, does anybody know who the Galatians even were? So I thought a good place to find out why Paul is telling them what he's telling them is to find out who he's actually telling it to, right? And so Galatia... The Galatian province, If the, Paul could have been writing to two different segments here. The first one was the Galatian province, which was in north-central Asia Minor, which is modern-day central Turkey. It's like a cut right down the center of what modern-day Turkey would be. And it was the Roman province of Galatia. And so it was, it was a large region, but it's more likely when Paul refre- references the Galatians, he's talking about Galatia proper, which was in the southern part of Turkey and the southern part of that promise, pro- province. Yes, it's in the whole, but Paul actually traveled to that section, and it was really the Roman section, or the uh, it's not necessarily that they were Romans, they were the Gauls that had take on, taken on Roman customs. And so it was the most like Rome across the sea. And so Paul had traveled to Pisidian, Antioch, Iconium, and Derby and Lystra. Now the Gauls, they were a Celtic tribe of warlike people who were always on the move. And so they were constantly, they would come into an area, they would cause a whole bunch of problems, they would stay for a while, and then they'd be like, yeah, we're bored here, and they would move on. And so they, these are actually the same, same sect of tribes that went through into France and other parts of Europe, and they say that they were blonde Orientals, which is kind hard of to, hard to picture. I'm not, I don't, I've never seen a blonde Oriental. But as that now has filtered through different genetics and stuff like that, we, I'm not sure what they actually looked like. But the gulls had been in this province of Galatia since about 300 BC. And the reason why they settled in this area is when they came in, they fought Rome. And they actually, in 390 BC, came through and they sacked the city of Rome and they burned it. And that did not make the Romans happy, so they actually fought them and pushed them out into the province of of what is, at this point, Galatia. And so they'd had a, a, a lot of different wars every few years. It'd be like Rome would have to send another army to make them settle down. And so eventually they subjugated them more fully. And at the point of Paul's writing of Galatians, they had been a Roman territory for about 50 or 60 years around there. So they're still pretty rough around the edges. When you think about the the, the great accomplishments of, uh, if you were go to Rome and you see the aqueducts and the Colosseum and stuff like that, Galatia probably doesn't look anything like that it's probably more a bunch of stick uh, huts and you know ma- ma- open marketplaces and stuff like that it's still developing in its Roman culture very rough around the edges but to get a picture of who these people really were let's look at what Caesar had actually said about them he said the infirmity of the gulls is that they are fickle in their resolves fond of change and not to be trusted so that's the people that paul is writing to they are a fickle people they like to change their mind and they are not to be trusted which is really shown in scripture in acts chapter 14 and verse 8 through 20 paul is ministering through the area that is galatia and one day they called paul a god and the next day they stoned him So one day it was like, oh my goodness, you're amazing. And then it's kill him. That just shows how quickly they were changing their minds. And Paul had to be rescued out of the city. He had to be raised up from the dead. And that's why... When you read the last chapter of Galatians, Paul makes a note and he says, See what large of letter I have written with my own hand. And people have tried to take that and say that, well, Paul was going blind and so he had to write in large letters so that he could see what it was he was writing. The, the word used for large of letter had not, nothing to do with the size but the length. Of the letter. So Paul did not write most of his books. He had a scribe who he would dictate to and they would write it. I don't know, maybe he had poor penmanship and so he figured somebody else can write better. I don't know what the reason why. Is. But the book of Galatians, Paul took the time to write with his own hand. And the reason why he's pointing out, he's like, look guys, this is my long letter. I've run it with my own hand. Because what happens when you stone someone? You aim for the head because you're trying to kill them. So the last time the Galatians probably saw Paul, he did not look pretty. He would have been all bloodied and bruised. His eyes were probably swollen over and he was dead. They actually prayed for him and raised him from the dead. And so last time they saw him, he didn't look good. So he's letting them know hey, guys, look how there's no brain damage here. I've written this long letter to you. And so these are the people that Paul is writing to in the book of Galatians. And so we kind of get an idea just from that little character background why Paul is talking to them the way he is. In verse 1 of chapter 3, it starts this Oh, foolish Galatians! Who has bewitched you? Who has cast a spell over you is what he's saying. For the meaning of Christ's death was made clear to you as if you had seen a picture of his death on the cross. So Paul is just like for a better use of the word he's flabbergasted at them. He's like how are you screwing this up guys? When I was there I made it pretty clear as if you were just looking through a portal or into a picture you could have seen Christ on the cross and understood the meaning. So whatever paul's intention was when he preached they're now missing what he had intended for them and he said what happened to you galatians to be acting so foolishly so paul does not have kind words for them here he's just kind of like come on guys I expect better things from you. Now, what had happened is as Paul had gone through these different regions, he went on his first missionary journey through the area of Galatia. And as he went through, behind him came these Judaizers and basically said, oh yeah, you know, all that stuff that Paul taught you about, you know, the grace of God and, you know, having to believe in what Jesus had said, that's all great, but you need to keep the law as well. And so Paul is now hearing this, is getting back to him. He's like, seriously? Seriously? You want to keep the law? You're not even Jews. you got to think how stupid this really is. They're not even Jews. Why would they want to go to the law? They're a bunch of rough Celtic thugs. Why do you want the law? It's not like they grew up with it. You could understand if he was having this conversation with the the, the Jews in Jerusalem saying, hey guys, I noticed that you're going back to the temple and you're, you're doing all the feasts and you're doing all the sacrifices and you're keeping all this. I could understand if this was a conversation he was having with them. But these are a bunch of Celtics, a bunch of guys living in huts. So it really, Paul just doesn't understand why they've gone. Now, in order to, to get where Paul was going in this, we need to look at, his con, at the context. And in the verses leading up to him saying, what's up, guys, he says this. He tells them, my old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And so I, li- the, so I live in this earthly body by trusting. That word trusting is by faith is the word that's used there. In the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So Paul lets them know, he's reminding them about what the true message is. You died, you now live in Christ, and you got connected to that by faith, by believing. And then he says this, I do not treat the grace of God as meaningless. You know, I think we've all been there where we started out in some areas in the grace of God and then along the road we took over in our own strength. And Paul's saying, I don't treat the grace of God as meaningless, meaning you need it just as much today as when you started in it. And he says, for if keeping the law could make us right with God, then there was no need for Christ to die. So that gives us a picture into what Paul is dealing with. The the Celts, the Gauls, they are... Trying to now establish their salvation based upon their works rather than Christ's work. And so he goes back and in verse 2 he says this: he says, Let me ask you this one question. Did you receive the Holy Spirit by obeying the law of Moses? Of course not. He answers his own question. He says, You received the Spirit because you believed. Everyone say, believed. believed. The message you heard about Christ. How foolish can you be after starting your new lives in the Spirit? Why are you now trying to become perfect by your own human effort? Been there, believe we all have. And so the root of what Paul's talking about is it's by faith, not by your effort. You know, along the road of life, it's really easy to look at the things that have been done in our lives and go, oh, I've done pretty good for myself, haven't I? And so Paul is wanting them to come back to the idea that, yeah, it's good, but it's good because of God. He says, have you experienced so much for nothing? Surely it was not in vain, was it? And I ask you again, does God give you the Holy Spirit and work miracles among you because you obey the law? So even though they were now trying to establish their own salvation through their works, The Holy Spirit didn't stop working and miracles didn't stop happening. Which means we can be in an environment where God is still moving and yet still be trying to do it out of our own effort. And that's why we have to be careful and always look to our heart and be like, Holy Spirit, I want all of you. I want to be established because of you. I want to go forward in the things of God because of you. It says, of course not. It is because you, everyone say it with me, believe. Believe the message you heard about Christ it says in in the same way Abraham believed God now again these are a bunch of celtic gulls living in mud huts what does Abraham have to do with them I could understand if this was the book of Romans, who he wrote to generally the Jews that were in Rome. I could understand if he was dressing people in Jerusalem. Why bring up Abraham? Just keep that in the back of your head. It says, Abraham believed God and counted him as righteous because of his faith. The real children of Abraham then are those who put their faith in God. Meaning the Jews had grown up throughout their history as they were the children of of Abraham. They were sons and daughters of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But he's telling us now that the true children of Abraham are the ones who walk in faith and believe. That's very important for us to understand. You are a son and a daughter of Abraham. Yes, you're a son and daughter of God, but the Bible calls us us the children of Abraham and the seed of Abraham. But what does it mean to have faith? Faith is just simply a conviction of a truth of anything, a belief with a predominant idea of trust or confidence. And I always use this example because it's the simplest one that you all did subconsciously this morning. When you walked in, there was a chair. You subconsciously took a survey of that chair without even thinking about it and went, it'll hold me. And I sat down. I didn't see anybody do this. Oh, okay, I can do this. I'm not sure. Oh, oh, it's good. It's good. Okay, now we can have church. Faith comes naturally to you when you are given information about god you either believe it or you don't you surveyed the chair you sat in the chair you heard about what god has said about you you walk in it and that's why james says faith without works is dead because they go together when you believe something you sit in the chair and so if you've been saying you've been believing certain things but aren't sitting in the chair, what do you really believe about the chair? Because if you believe about the chair, you'll sit. That's right. yeah, that's right. If you believe about the things of God, you'll walk into them. Right. When you believe the things of God, you'll let go of some things. Mm-hmm. You'll stop. Never mind, I won't say that. <laughs> What's more, the Scriptures look forward To this time, when God would declare the Gentiles to be righteous because of their, say the word with me, faith. And so God has taken the Gentiles and rolled them into the blessed ones, children of God, sons and daughters of Abraham. And it says, God proclaimed this good news to Abraham long ago when he said, All nations will be blessed through you. The nation of canada didn't exist when god said that to abraham but he gets to be blessed because you live in it so all who put their faith in christ shall share the everyone say this word movie same Same. blessing abraham received a different blessing half a blessing the same blessing that Abraham received because of his faith. And it says, but those who depend on the law to make them right with God are under his curse. Meaning, the way we act can actually bring us under a curse we've been freed from. Yeah, that's right. It's like the prison door being opened and saying, no, I'm pretty sure I like this hard old bed in here. If the door's open, go live free. And so we can bring ourselves into curses that we have been freed from, that have been broken just because of our choice and our choosing and our beliefs. And it says, Cursed is everyone who does not, or for the scriptures say, Cursed is everyone who does not observe and obey all the commands that are written in God's book of the law. So it is clear that no one can be made right with God by trying to keep the law. For the scripture said, It is through faith that a righteous person has life. This way of faith is very different from the way of the law, which says it is through obeying the law that a person has life. Are we getting the picture of what Paul's been now talking about for 13 verses? Your works can't save you. Your works can't bless you. Your works can't heal you. Your works can't increase you but your faith can. Yes, amen. And so the law is all about obeying and religion still tries to make it about obeying. Yeah. Obey what your pastor says, obey what all these things say and if the word said it, you should do it, but you're not blessed because of that. You're blessed because you believe Jesus. Right. So Paul says all that to get to this. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. Christ, Jessica, has. Past tense, present tense, past tense. Is he going to come and do it again? No, the curse has already been broken off of you. (laughs) Now there's two fundamental curses that have been plaguing humanity. First one is being the curse of the fall, which we will have to live with until Jesus returns. That was the one Adam and Eve screwed up, and God said, now you have to work. Now you have to plant. Now you have to harvest. That was the institution of seed, time, and harvest. And as long as this earth remains, it stays in place. Then there was the curse of the law, which was given 400 years after Abraham. 400 years Four, and then put some zeros. 400 years after Abraham. And so the reason why the curse has been lifted is so that you can walk into what was already established before then. Up until that point, the law put a block in there. You can't access this. But Christ became a curse so that we could be free from the curse. That You have to understand how wording goes when we're reading through the Bible. He became a curse for this reason he's about to tell us. The word says that. Other translations say so that or that in order that. Basically, it's this happened, so you can now enter what we're about to say. That the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus. And that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. But he said that the blessing might come upon us. So Jesus physically became a curse for you so that this blessing of Abraham could come upon you. So it stands to reason that we should know what that blessing is because that Jesus did all of this so you could walk in it. Hallelujah. The word blessing here used is the word eulogio, which is where we get our word for eulogy. And for most funerals we go to, the eulogy is the sad time where everybody bawls. But do you know what the word actually means? It means to praise and to celebrate with praisings and to invoke blessings. And I love this one because this is the main structure of the word. To cause to prosper. And to make happy. And to bestow blessings on. And to be favored of God. you know what the word favored means? Grace. But the main structure of the word eulogio is to empower to prosper. Jesus became a curse so that you could be empowered to prosper. That's how much important it was to him. You know, some people treat prosperity as, well, that's just like a perk. You know, I don't really need that. I can be happy with what I got. Oh, I don't want to become too materialistic. Um, He went through all the cross so that you could be empowered to prosper, which means that we need to let go of some poverty thinking. And sadly, most of the church world is ingrained with poverty thinking. The devil has convinced them to settle for less. I've got to ask you a question. How do you take the gospel to the world with no money? How do you book a plane and take resources around the world with no money? The very root of the word eulogio, first part is logos which means to speak over or to declare over. The second part is the simple word you, which means to be well off, to fare well, to prosper. So put the words together. He has spoken over you so that you can be well off, farewell, and prosper. That's what the blessing of the Lord does on you. So, It's the blessing of Abraham that has come upon us. So we should probably know what that is. Does anybody know what God actually said to Abram? He said this, leave your native country, your relatives and your father's family and go to the land that I will show you. So first off, God gives Abram instructions and throughout your life, God is going to give you instructions. And your blessing hinge on following the instructions. Why? Because if you believe God is good, you believe God is blessing you, you'll follow him to the place where it is. That's not works when God says to do something and then you say, well, I don't want to get into works. Um, If God said move, you move. If God said jump, you say how high? God says run, run. Run as fast as you can. And then be like Elijah and let him put you, the jets on you and outrun a chariot. <laughs> Whatever God tells you to do, you do it. And throughout the Bible, you see that the blessing is always on the other side of saying, I believe you, I'll do it. Yeah. Yeah. So he says, leave your father's land, your, fa- your relatives, and get out from that land. And he says, I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. And I'll make you famous, and you will be a blessing to others. You know, here's where when people balk at prosperity, I'm like, how can I help others if I can't even help myself? The blessing of Abraham says, you'll have enough for not you, but everyone else too. That's why Paul said that you'll have, as you have opportunity for every good work. Not just some of the good works. He said every good work. You know, this topic doesn't make a lot of Christian people happy. It really makes them mad. You just, you wanna know how mad people get? Search Kenneth Copeland's name in YouTube. Search Kenneth Copeland, Creflo Dollar, Jesse DePlenis, Kenneth Hagen. You'll find out how much people hate this message. But it's Jesus went to the cross to break the curse so that you could walk in it. He says, I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse those who treat you with contempt, and all the families of the earth will be blessed through you. God, I live on this earth, and I thank you I'm one of those families. So Abram departed as the Lord has had instructed. You got the instructions, run with them. The word that they use in the Old Testament, though, because they were written in two different languages, right? We have eulogio in the New Testament, which was Greek. But in the Old Testament, it's in Hebrew, and it's the word barak, which means to bless or to kneel. And I thought that was interesting that the word bless means to kneel, because first, in order to walk in blessings, you have to submit yourself to God. James 4.10 tells us to humble yourself before the Lord and he will lift you up in honor. When we put ourselves before God and say, God, whatever you want, whatever you want me to do, that's how you increase. Matthew 6.31, Jesus said, Therefore, don't worry, saying, What shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek, for your heavenly Father knows that you need these things. So he's not up there going oh la-di-da la-di-da he knows what you need and he says this but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all this will be these things will be added to you so the position of blessing starts here God whatever you want I'm here to serve you become a servant and you'll find yourself increasing James and John were like, God, we want to, Jesus, we want to sit on your left hand and your right hand. And Jesus said what to them? Whoever wants to be the greatest has to become the servant of all. I think we've got our path to blessing screwed up. It's not about how many people you can trample. It's about how many people you can lift up. And if you're all on the same ladder, cutting their rung off doesn't help, only hinder you, them, it hinders you. And so we should see this though reflected in how the word bless or Barak in the Old Testament, we should see this principle played out. And in order to do that, we have a law and interpretation called the law of first mention, which means it sets precedent for how that word will be used throughout. And so to find the precedent for Barak, you need to go all the way back to the beginning of the book. And in Genesis chapter 121, God's creating the earth. And he says, so God created great sea creatures and every living thing that moves with which the waters abounded according to their kind and every, wi- every winged bird according to its kind and God saw that it was good and God blessed them He barak them saying be fruitful and multiply the blessing went upon the sea creatures and the land creatures to increase them So blessing isn't there to make you feel good. Oh, thank you, God. I'm so glad that I'm blessed. Oh, we're blessed. Blessings, blessings, blessings. No, the blessings came upon those creatures to increase them. So what happens when a blessing comes upon you? It increases you. Because it says, a few verses down, So God created man in his own image, and the image of God he created him, male and female he created them. Then God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air. The blessing came upon man to increase them. And so the blessing of Abraham has come upon you for what reason? To increase you. So we have to look back and what happened to Abraham after he was blessed. It says, then Abram went up from Egypt and he and his wife and all that he had and lot with him and they went to the south. And Abram was very rich in livestock, in silver and gold. So between the 12 verses, between when God blessed them and when he comes out of Egypt, he has increased. Now, I have to tell you something about these words, very rich. The word very means exceedingly or abundantly. But the word rich that they used here in the Hebrew is an interesting word. It means Weighed down. Why? Gold and silver weigh a ton. And so he was exceedingly abundantly weighed down. He needed some good old camels to carry all the loot. Because God had been increasing him as he was obedient. Hallelujah. But God didn't end his blessing there. In chapter 15, he says, says, sometime later, the Lord spoke to Abram in a vision and said to him, don't be afraid, Abram, for I will protect you and your reward will be great. But Abram replied, "O sovereign Lord, what good are your blessings? Hold up a second. I will protect you and your reward will be great. And Abram said, what good are your blessings? Blessings, Which tells me that God will protect you and your reward will be great because of the blessing. Because Abram just equated those two things to the blessing. He says, so what good are your blessings when I don't even have a son? Since you've given me no children, Eliezer of Damascus, a servant of my household, will inherit all of my But you know, God is not just interested in your prosperity, in your finances. You realize there's things in the Bible that he calls better than silver and gold? Anybody want to take a guess at what the number one one is? Wisdom. Because if you're wise and you know how to operate, those things just come naturally. But here, the blessing that Abraham needed wasn't money wasn't protection, wasn't a good reward. He wanted children. He says, you've given me no descendants of my own, so none of my servants will be my heir. Then the Lord said to him, no, your servant will not be your heir, for you will have a son of your own who will be your heir. And the Lord took Abram outside and said to him, look up into the sky, count the stars, if you can, which you can't, and that's how many descendants you will have. Do you know what Abraham was looking up at? You. He wasn't looking at the nation of Israel. He wasn't looking at the Arab nations that came from Ishmael. It says the real children of Abraham are those of faith. So when Abram stood out there in the place of blessing as God was speaking over him, he looked up and there you were. And it said, and Abraham believed the Lord and the Lord counted him as righteous because of his faith. The only thing God is requiring of you today is believe me. So I want to give you homework this week. And it's very simple. I want you to go home this week and think about this and talk about this to yourself. The blessing has come upon me. Because if you don't believe you're blessed, it doesn't do you any good. Say that with me. The blessing has come upon me. Say it again. The blessing has come upon me. Say it again with me. The blessing has come upon me. Come on, say it like you mean it. The blessing has come upon me. Thank you, Lord, that the blessing has come upon me. Your blessing, Lord, that you spoke over Abram, that you have now given to me because you have removed the curse of the law out of the way. Oh, Father, we thank you for your blessings. And we ask you to open up our eyes to see your intentions for it. We know that you have people that you want us to help. Mm -hmm. Let us extend our blessings to them, Lord. Show us who we can lift up. As we lift you high, you say that you draw all men unto you. And so we thank you for your blessings. In Jesus' name, amen. So now when I say you guys are blessed... You're just starting. We're going to go over what that means over the next few weeks. Let's have some time to talk and some good coffee. You guys are dismissed.